Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snake hey, Snakebirds, welcome to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Well, Stephen, <laughs> we're sinking deep in this discussion with another Snakebird profile. You might even say that we're tackling some theology that might be hard to swallow. What do you think? You said a whale. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we are profiling none other than Jonah. Ha, 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 as you get the <laughs> the puns. Well played, Josh. Thank well you. Played. I yes. loved it. Sir Punnington over here. <laughs> yes, and I am excited to get into this profile because it is a simple yet complex story. It really is. Theologically and everything. You know, this is one of those stories that we've heard since we were in diapers, practically. Yeah. And you almost, as you read these as an adult, or if time has gone by for a long time, you look at it through almost an already done that lens, been Mm -hmm. there, done that. But there's some real deep theological realities in regard to the nature of God, nature of mankind, the miraculous bridge of love that connects the two. Mm-hmm. It's just a fascinating book. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, you just said it, talking about how we've told this story from all the way from birth until now. But this story is, is as easy as it is to tell kids about Jonah and the whale. It's also a very adult story when you get into the nitty gritty details of it. Yeah, it really is. And not just a big fish story. No. <laughs> well, and that's what, I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but I kind of, in my notes, said man, myth, legend, because I, it's interesting that so many critics are uh, critical of this book and thinking that it's more allegorical than historical or literal. But I don't believe that it's a myth or even just a parable for the children of Israel. I believe that Jonah was a real person and what the Bible says happened did indeed happen. And of course, so did Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you get that a lot these days. It's, oh, it was myth. It wasn't It wasn't this or that. But it, we do believe that it was reality. And uh, Jesus has some very um, interesting things that he says about the story himself mm-hmm. and um, it, it is, uh, it's a fascinating story. Yes. And we believe it's real. Yes, we do. And so I think we should just jump right in. Let's talk about Jonah. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, we've established that he's a real person and he's also a prophet of God. He is. He is. And um, we'll be seeing some odd behaviors in someone with the title prophet in Jonah, won't we? Yes, very much. Um, sometimes we hear the, the title prophet or pastor, and we think that there's some sort of spiritual firewall that shouldn't allow them to act um, in some of the ways we're going to see Jonah act. Because we're going to see that he struggled with pride, racism, disobedience, a hardened heart, all as he grew through these events that unfold in this story. Mm-hmm. And I love that not only is he mentioned here in the book of Jonah, but he's also mentioned in another part of the Bible. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25 because it's talking about King Jeroboam II. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, or Amittai the prophet from gath Hepper. Yeah, and what's crazy is King Jeroboam II was known to be like a really terrible king for Israel, (laughs) and Jonah prophesied in favor for him, and I thought it was very, you know, it complicated things even further as far as the character of Jonah, because Amos, who prophesied around the same time, he prophesied against the same king Jonah put favor on. He was spitting hot fire. Yeah, Yeah, and so you have these two true prophets 
I mean, they're both prophets, right, mm-hmm. of the true God. Yeah. And one's saying one, another saying the other. So there's something going on here, not a contradiction. No. But there's something going on here. This is like we're questioning already the character of Jonah. Yeah. And, and what he did say to Jeroboam, according to this verse, was from the word of the Lord. So, I mean, yes. God has his ways. I. I, I do question the character of Jonah, especially throughout this story. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the whole um, there's a whole situation with the northern and southern kingdom, mm-hmm. and so there there's some stuff going on. Yeah, but um, it's just things that make you think, man. What's up, what's up with this guy Jonah? <laughs> you know? it, well, his dad, his name is Amittai. I think I just said that. Maybe hopefully said it right. His <laughs> name means faithful or truthful, and then Jonah's name means dove, which. Um, depending on who you read, I was preparing and some people uh, equate the dove to the Holy Spirit. And they were like, that is so neat that as a prophet of God, he was supposed to bring the, the message like the Holy Spirit does from heart to heart to the people of Nineveh. Yeah, and and yet we find some hiccups along the way. He yeah. he he didn't represent that character completely well at the at times. That's true. And you know another thing I found really interesting is um, this book. Like you look at like Isaiah and all these other prophetic books. They're God's words to the people. The book of Jonah is um, it's it revolves entirely around the prophet himself mm-hmm. in this story. Yes, and so that's another thing that kind of separates this as a unique story and profile. Yeah, instead of just being a prayer or a proclamation, it's a narrative. Yeah, yeah, and, and it does have those in there, but it I mean it's more like. Now let's pick up where he was and then let's see what's happening with him. Yeah. And before you say, well, that makes sense. It all revolves around him because he was just that kind of a guy. You should know that Jonah was one of only four writing prophets mentioned by Jesus himself during his earthly ministry. Isaiah, Daniel, and Zechariah were the others. But Jesus compared himself to Jonah in that mention. Mm-hmm. And that would be Matthew twelve forty, where Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yeah. And so comparing himself directly to Jonah. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, and he says something like that similar in Luke 11. And that's where I come back to critics who say, well, Jonah was just an allegorical message for the children of Israel. And I'm like, hey, if Jesus said that he was real and he's going to be like him, exactly, then he was real. Absolutely. And one more thing that I would point out, too, is the book of Jonah itself is kind of a head scratcher because it's not like a typical predictable story where at every turn you can guess the direction the storyline is going. I mean, we have a prophet who acts nothing like most prophets of God. We have pagan people repenting, pagan king humbled, even the animals. And (laughs) at the end of the story, it's completely reversed in how we'd expect the characters to wind up. Yes. So it's just, I mean, it reverses everything in the story. And the ending is extremely ambiguous. Yeah. It just ends. <laughs> it does. It just ends. And you're like, well, what, wait, what happened? It's like, like a really good season where they don't give you season two. Doesn't it end with a question? I mean, isn't there the, a question mark at the end? It is. It is. Yeah. Chapter four ends with a question mark. Yeah. Did they have question marks in the original? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it, it was the point. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've always been um, intrigued by the the ambiguous nature of the ending of this story. And so I think we should just jump in to the beginning of it because it begins with a call. 
Yes. And so Jonah, um, as we talk about this, and I hope that you're geeking out about this Bible character because who knows, we might be spending the next hour or two talking about him. You'll know by the length of this podcast. But uh, Jonah is a prophet, and all of a sudden the word of the Lord comes to him, and it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And right there, we already have things that we need to talk about because out of the gate, Jonah feels a really strong emotion towards the city of Nineveh, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's really a deep rivalry between Israel and Assyria, which Nineveh was the capital of, that will help, I think, explain Jonah's feelings towards them. Um, We see in in like 2 Kings, Isaiah, the book of Nahum, that the Assyrians were an obvious enemy of God's people. Uh, I mean, they laid siege to Jerusalem in 700 BC, which would not help their relationship. (laughs) Um, And even more than that, um, the pagan Assyrians were just wicked people. Very wicked. Yeah, super wicked. And you'll even notice if you do your own research on the Ninevites, um, many scholars who don't believe the Bible is God's word, they'll say that the Bible is the only ancient literature that paints Nineveh in a bad light. Well, I have news for you. That's what God's word does. It shines light on the darkness of humanity. And of course, the world considers Nineveh-like behavior okay. Their God is uplifting self through the pursuit of pleasure. Wow. And so the, the Ninevites were wicked people. They destroyed uh, Jerusalem. They were enemies of yeah. God. And so uh, you, we come down hard on Jonah in certain instances, but we got to understand this uh, is more than just a rivalry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a true enemy. Yeah. And they were in the process of becoming the great world power at that time. Yes. And Nineveh was that city that everybody was flocking to because um, one commentator that I read even said at the moment it was the largest city in the world. Yeah. And so, you know, not only were they known for their wickedness, but how were they known for their wickedness? Well, when they would go in to take over a a city or a community, they would kill men, women, and children. Mm-hmm. And then they, uh, if they found out that there were some spies in their city, they would skin the spies and then hang them from their walls to kind of act as a warning to anyone else that might consider even doing that. They would cut off people's eyelids and position them so that they were staring into the sun so that they would burn out their vision. My goodness. Uh, they had furniture made out of human skin. And then their soldiers kind of had this tally system of how great of a soldier they were by the number of human heads or skulls they had piled outside of their front doors. This is really sounding like the the forefathers of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. This is this is gnarly stuff. It's Hannibal Lecter meets Mad Max. My goodness. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's some that's some wicked stuff. Yeah. And one thing that I would point out at this point, too, before we get too far, for those who are interested in archaeology and that kind of thing, is that for quite a while, people would claim the city of Nineveh was fictitious, probably because of its relation to the Jonah story Mm -hmm. and the whale. But um, like so many other mentions in the Bible, it was eventually found by archaeologists. And this site has been preserved for many years, but um, the modern-day suburbs of Mosul have experienced civil war and unrest. So vandalism and war, as of 2010, has put this ancient discovery on Global Heritage Fund's list of top 12 endangered archaeological sites. Wow. So, um, honestly, a few generations from now, people will probably start to doubt Nineveh's existence again because there's no quote-unquote evidence anymore. But I thought, you know, if you're into archaeology and stuff, they did discover Nineveh and it was a great city. Oh, it was, wow. um, it, and like I already said, a lot of scholars point to it as, 
uh, not wicked, but um, a very grand city, and by the world standards, it was. Yeah. So in in mentioning that, I read some of the accounts of the excavation of it and how they found some of it. And here's something that I found, because God refers to Nineveh as a great city. And then Jonah 3.3 goes on to state that Nineveh was very large, that it would take three days to go through it. Mm -hmm. Well, translating literally from the Hebrew, this verse reads, Nineveh was a great city to God, a going of three days. And so scholars and translators have been puzzled for years on how to translate the phrase, a going of three days. In the past, many assumed that this referred to how big Nineveh was, and that it took someone three days to walk across it. The problem was with that understanding that none of the cities in the ancient Near East were big enough to require three days to walk across, to transverse. And uh, in fact, um, ancient Nineveh has been, like you said, excavated and the time to walk across the site is just a few hours at most and not nearly three days. And so uh, several scholars have argued that a going of three days has nothing to do with the physical size of the city, but rather refers to the size of the status of the city in regard to the protocol required for official visits. That is, if a king sent an emissary to Nineveh, the status of the city required the emissary to stay there for three days. I found uh, two other, um, I guess you could say, like schools of thought. Another one is that Nineveh could be almost like an aggregated number likened to New York or the Metroplex, where you had multiple communities or towns making up one large burg because there were cities nearby like Kayla, Rezin, Reboeth, um, Rebentinia, <laughs> Terabasu. No, it's Terabasu. And uh, this one sounded like a Klingon name. Der Shark, you can. This sounds Uh-oh. German. I was get, well, I was going to say, oh, you can, like a like <laughs> street fighter. Um, and then one other suggestion was that the city was large enough that it would have actually taken three days to stop at and visit in all of its significant squares and major buildings to proclaim the judgment of God. That's kind of how I took it. Maybe Jonah, as he's walking through proclaiming the message, that he's working from major um, intersection to major building to say, hey, this is what's happening. Oh, wow. And so... Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I because... Some of the accounts I read, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. You just, there's a lot of different information out there. Yeah, for sure, man. No, that's something to chew on. It is. So, uh, you know, we talked about how wicked the people were. Nahum actually gives us a glance in Nahum chapter three, verses one through four. And I wanted to read them. Uh, it says, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling all over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved the nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Wicked place. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought, well, you remember who his founder was, Nimrod. Yeah. And so well, that explains it. <laughs> that explains it, because Nimrod was like the the father of just wickedness. He he yes. had the spirit of Satan upon him, 
with everything that he did almost. I mean, yeah. he formed Babylon, he formed all kinds of stuff. And out of the Tower of Babel came, you know, this hunter, this rebel. That's what his name means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's then that's a fascinating rabbit hole altogether. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, we just talked about how the word Nineveh would elicit such a strong emotion in Jonah because this was a difficult assignment. Yeah. And not only did he probably have, like you said, some prejudice against them, of course he would. Mm -hmm. There's also probably some fear in saying, I don't want to go there because they might cut off my eyelids or they might rip off an arm. At the very least, mockery. At the very worst, (laughs) some of that horrid stuff that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, I even likened it to a Jewish person being called to go and witness to Nazi Germany. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, I walk in there, they're hungry for blood. They might kill me. Yeah, that is true. And one thing that really stood out to me as well, in verse 2, it says that their wickedness has come up before me. Mm. And that intrigues me so much because like in Genesis 18, 20, uh, we see that God says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great because of their sin. Mm -hmm. And so Nineveh is yet another city where we see God actually has a limit of how far unbelievers can go in sin Mm. as well. And I think oftentimes we think that God only gets that justice in the afterlife, but that's not always the case. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really neat because a lot of people like talk about how this is an allegorical book, but God, I believe, wanted to use this as a future picture for his own nation going, hey, this is what could happen if you only listen to the message that I send to you through the prophets. Yeah. And, and the way the book ends, I mean, I think it's also a message to the church after the Jews. Yes. I mean, God, he has such an amazing way of speaking uh, to, to all the generations, <laughs> yeah, the just, living word of God. Exactly. So many things line up for people to hear all that he's trying to say. And so when we talk about the motivations of Jonah, you might have prejudice, you might have fear. Mm -hmm. There's one that's going to come up that we could tell you now, but we won't. (laughs) We'll just make you wait for it because it's coming up in a later chapter. Because it's funner that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully you're geeking out like I am because I'm like, I'm out of breath. I'm talking so much. So so God said, go. Jonah said, no. Mm -hmm. God said, whoa. (laughs) Jonah said, bro, I'm getting a ticket to Tarshish. (laughs) What's crazy is this is all happening in these first four verses. Yeah. Like like there's, there's a lot that's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the first four verses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm going to Joppa right on the coastline, which is where Tel Aviv is now. I thought that was really a neat piece of information. And he goes to the local dock and he's like, uh, so is anybody sailing to the end of the known world right now? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's the boat I want to get on. I didn't actually have the time to investigate how far he was trying to run. But if I remember correctly, wasn't it like a couple thousand miles or something? Yes. Like, well, it was a long ways away. He was trying to escape God. It was to the known edge of civilization. <laughs> Man, he was determined. <laughs> yeah. Because, okay, so where he was supposed to go was northeast. And instead, he went southwest to Joppa, and then he was about to hook as far west as he get. I mean, there was no life that they knew of in the United States and America yet. I mean, there probably was, of course, the natives here, but um, he didn't know that. And the furthest that you could get to was Tarshish. 
And he's like, one ticket, please. You know, I don't know if he did it this quickly or not, but I just picture him like waking up from this vision that God gave him and instantly go, nope. <laughs> like instantly grabbing his cloak and going down to the harbor. That's going to be a nope for me, dog. Uh-uh. Nope. Uh-uh. Yeah. Not doing it. Well, can you imagine? He's been a prophet, so chances are that he's been supported by being a prophet. Yeah. And now he's taking that money that he's earned from um, doing ministry work for God. Yeah. And he's disobeying God with that money. I have my limits. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, the next thing you know, he's on a boat and, uh, and they set sail and he's like, okay, don't have to go to Nineveh. I'm heading west. And God says, oh, okay. I see how we're going to play this thing. And he sends a really strong wind. And it says that it stirs up a storm uh, that is threatening to tear the boat apart. Yeah. Lo and behold, a storm coincidentally crosses paths with the boat. (laughs) Exactly. I love this from Spurgeon. It said, God never allows his children to sin successfully. And he proves that with Jonah here because Hebrews 12, six says for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. And so Jonah is about to get a whooping. Yeah. And, and the sailors on board who are, are pagan sailors, they're flipping out. Yes, because anytime you see a sailor freaking out and throwing their goods overboard, that means it got real. Yeah. <laughs> the captain, he, he goes down to find Jonah asleep. Yes. But he's like, what in Poseidon's name are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you sleeping? Wake up and call to your God because we already are. We're having this like. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> get your tail up and call upon your God because apparently ours are sleeping too right yeah, now. It, it's, a, it's a spin the wheel prayer meeting upstairs because we're just trying anybody who's going to listen up there. And I, okay, so I had a little segment right here talking about sleeping Christians because Jonah, in his sin, he has totally checked out. Mm -hmm. He has uh, disobeyed, and now he's walking in that uh, disobedience. And I wanted to just point out the dangers of Christians who are sleeping during a time when they should be acting and they should be obeying. And so um, sleeping Christians, I've always said that's one of Satan's favorite things. He says, if I can't keep you from going to heaven, then I want to keep you as ineffective on earth as possible. And so you see that Jonah is hiding out. He's downstairs. He's out of God's plan. He's staying away from the work that he was called to. In fact, he doesn't even know what's going on and he wasn't informed about the situation and thus he doesn't know to pray. Uh, He's in real danger, but he's unaware and he's on a snooze cruise while he has the words of eternal life and he has what is able to save every single person on that boat. And yet because of him sleeping, he's missing all of it. Yeah. And I wonder what was because he had to have known the storm was going on Mm -hmm. or maybe he it's the nature of a prophet to have such peace in God that you just sleep good like Jesus did in the storm. I, I don't know. But he, he, what was going on in his head? Well, a lot of people were saying, well, how could he have peace with God right now? Because he has Well, that's a, and that's a good point. Yeah. But, but at the same time, he does have the spirit of Christ within him as a prophet. I know, but... Because about, we see in what's First Peter, the spirit of yeah. Christ within them, where they, where they were the inquiries, the, I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing like crazy, but yeah. uh, there's a verse that speaks to the old prophets having the spirit of Christ within them. Okay. And so... 
I just have to ask, there's a storm coming. Do either of us have like unrepentant <laughs> sin or a call that we're not answering God to do right now? Right. So if you hear the storm. Yeah, I'm... there's actual thunder right now. <laughs> yeah. So I've been, God's just given us sound effects, I think. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, another thing is, is maybe he seared his conscience to a degree because for me, if I disobey God, I usually can't sleep. True. I'm usually freaked out. Yeah. And yet here that's, he that's is. That's a good point. A seared conscience would, would give you that uh, enough peace to just kind of apathetically move past, yeah, which is a sad, scary thought. Yes, it is scary. And, and that's why God is coming after him. Not like, you know, not like Don, but even well, though, yeah, you know, okay, I don't know how to say that because he is coming after him, but he's coming after him with a heart of restoration, but he is going to use the mm-hmm. sound effects here in a second, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And so then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Which is like an ancient spin the bottle. Yeah, there you go. It really yeah. is. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> I think, well, dice. It, yeah. Yeah. Bones. Pick a straw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they came to him and they said, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? Yeah. And uh, from what people are you? And I just, I love all those questions because it's like, oh, any of those, it's getting down to the nitty gritty. And let's just point out that these were seasoned sailors. Mm-hmm. It was apparent to even them that this storm was not normal. No, yeah. Um, a seasoned sailor has no doubt pushed through many storms at sea, but this one had come about in such a way that everyone agreed there was some sort of supernatural thing going on. Yes. And um, what do you know? The lots fell on Jonah. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I love the response because it says, this terrified them. And they ask, what have you done? Thou bringest a curse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this, yeah. our livelihood being lost is because of you, Mr. Jonah. Yeah. But seriously, in eight, eight and nine of chapter one, they asked Jonah, you know, who are you? What's your occupation? He And he has the gall to say, I am a Hebrew and I fear Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ruined his testimony right there. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is, isn't it crazy when the world calls you out on your own sin before God? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the <laughs> you're the Christian who's representing God at the party and they look at you and they're like, Oh, is that how a Christian behaves? You know, yeah. and I mean, not that that world judging thing. I'm thinking of just like a real calling out of like, what has happened that you've come this far? Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, just a little um, admission here. There was a point where I, I had a worker that I that started to work with me that knew I was a Christian. We didn't know each other very well. And uh, a crude joke was said, and he was watching me. And I ended up laughing at a pretty crude joke. And he got real serious for a second, and he was like, you know what, you're no different than me. You laugh at the same stuff I laugh at. Oh, wow, yeah. And just the way he said that, I was like, oh, man, it struck me to the heart. I because bet you were cut to the quick. I was, yeah. I was, because, you know, the world is watching. Yeah, and when the world calls something bad that a Christian hasn't called something bad, that's really freaky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, of course, the storm doesn't let up. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And they say, what do we have to do to make the storm go away? And, and Jonah goes, pick me up and 
throw me into the sea. Yeah. <laughs> but they're in a catch-22 because if they killed Jonah by tossing him overboard, then they just killed a prophet of this powerful and angry God. Yeah. But if they're in the crossfire between this disobedient prophet and his powerful God, what are they to do? Exactly. And I just, I love that these guys, these salty sea dogs are very honorable men because they start rowing to the shore to try to save him. They're yeah. like, they're doing the best that they can. Yeah. They, they, they're like, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. So they try. They we try don't it. want your blood on our heads. Yeah. And on our hands. But what do we do? To no avail, though. They yeah. Did, they did not. They were not able to paddle inland. No. Um, so then they do something that they have likely never done before. They yes. pray to the one true God of all creation. And they ask for forgiveness for what they're about to mm-hmm. do. Uh, because they say, God, this is your will and we're going to do what you want us to do. And please don't account it against us. And yeah. they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. They're like, we're doing this by deduction here. Yeah. <laughs> we tried to save him. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Jonah VeggieTales, um, but it's awesome because the, the fish slappers. M- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. The minute that they throw Jonah overboard in this visual representation, the storm just goes from night to day, just like instantly. <laughs> yeah. And and they're sitting there and they're like, well, we'll get him back in the boat. And of course, that's when you hear the Donna noise. But I mean, isn't that wild that Jonah is a prophet of God's message? He should be the one proclaiming who Yahweh, who Jehovah is. And yet now these men come face to face with God through this encounter. Because before, when it says that they were all on deck praying to their gods, it uses Elohim and it uses the little G. Mm -hmm. But now here they have met God and they're starting to call him Yahweh. Well, so God uses even the bad for his good. Yes. And and then even after they they throw him overboard, it says that they started to fear the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to him. That is fantastic. Isn't that? It really is. Yeah, and a lot of preachers believe that this is where they actually received salvation through faith. And I'm I'm part of that belief system. I, I think that they that. encountered God. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's where the neat parallel between Jonah chapter 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4 happened because it's a people who were on a completely different trajectory. They had no idea who God was. They encountered him almost in spite of who Jonah is and, and how he behaves. Yeah, it's so it is so fantastic. Yeah. And then Jonah Jonah gets introduced to that famous fish yeah. appointed for him. Dunna. Yeah. Dunna. <laughs> the, the two famous notes in movie history. I gotta say, man, I have seen these wild rednecks noodling in rivers <laughs> where they stick their arm in these holes, which is just nuts. Yeah. And I I get this like almost instant just shivering fear every time I watch one of those shows and think of a catfish the size of half of your abdomen going up on the arm. <laughs> I, I just imagine this would be terrifying. Yes. To have this fish coming at you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a mixture of that movie Anaconda where it's eating a person whole and, and oh. noodling. I just, I can't stomach it. Oh. <laughs> well, have you ever heard of the foreshadowing that's in Jaws and the way they wrote it is uh, Quint, the crazy person who went down on the Indianapolis and he's giving that awesome speech and he goes, swallowed him whole, they did. You yeah. Know, the sharks did. And then <laughs> at the end of the movie, he, spoiler alert for a movie from the 1970s, he gets swallowed whole virtually. And yeah. um, even then, 
when we talk about this being a fish story, we don't know if it was a fish or a whale or a shark. So um, when you translate this word out in the Septuagint of the Hebrew, it actually means it's a sea monster. I like it better. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going with from now on. Or sea dragon. Sea dragon. Yeah. The Leviathan. The Leviathan is out there. <laughs> well, and I love that it says God prepared a fish. I heard a um, a, a preacher well-known the other day giving a sermon on this. I won't say his name. <coughs> MacArthur. And um, he, said, he said, this is not a whale. It's translated fish as clear as day. <laughs> And so, I, I slightly paraphrased, but he made the point. This yeah. was a fish. I'm going Leviathan here. I mean, there you I, go. I, yeah, sea monster. It, well, is a creature ate a person? Yes. And all these things are possible and plausible yeah. through God, of course, because it's a miracle. Yes. And he did this for a purpose. Have you ever heard of James Bartley from 1891? That rings a bell. Okay. Fill me in. So there was a guy named James Bartley. He was... Uh, supposedly on a whaling ship and he fell off with another guy and the guy, the other guy disappeared and they caught this whale and they started digging into it and um, because they didn't want the, the meat to go bad in the sun and after like a day and a half of digging they actually reached the stomach and pulled James Bartley out. Wow. Now this is a highly contested story. There's some, uh, like the widow of the sea captain, she's like, that never happened. They weren't even a whaling ship, but there's other people who swear by it. There's I been stories yeah. written upon it. And so it's not one of those things where I just want to come out and be like, this is real truth. But yeah. there is a possibility that this, that this man was actually swallowed by a whale and survived for an amount of time. Yeah. Because even when they buried Buried him, they put on his uh, tombstone a modern day Jonah. Oh wow! Yeah, so I mean, there's always those little nuggets of truth in every. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to say one way or another. There's other it's accounts not in our apologetics. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I hate presenting things that are online as uh, fact when they could be fiction. No, no, but I'm glad you pointed it out because it's I have heard that, and that's a fascinating account that yes. very well might be true. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what that leads to now is Jonah chapter 2, which we're not going to cover the whole thing, but in this chapter, Jonah prays and he cries out to God. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a heart-tugging prayer. Yeah. It reminds me of some of those um, just real deep moments of, of David in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's that point where it almost sounds like he felt like he died. Yeah. You know, he has that moment. And, and I really like the, the fact that um, as it incorporates so many phrases and figures and speech from the Psalms, and it, it shows that he was a man who knew God's word, and he knew it by heart. Because, of course, in this uh, stomach, wherever he's at, in a sea dragon, monster, fish, whale, there's no Bible and there's no candle like Pinocchio would want to represent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way to like create a lot of smoke and get the, ma the whale to open its mouth. Yeah. And he just, he had some time. It's all, I, I don't know. I don't want to paint God in a weird light, but it's almost like God said, I want to have a heart to heart with you and I'm trying to get you to where I can speak to you and you're running from me. So why don't I put you in timeout and we're just going to have this opportunity to talk back and forth. And for three days and three nights, it felt like Jonah was just communing with God. 
and kind of coming back to maybe his first love because he's crying out um, Psalm 18:6. in my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God he heard my voice from his temple Psalm 42 7 deep cause unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls which you can hear rain yeah uh, right now which I think is and, cool yeah right <laughs> all your ways and billows have gone over me and then um, the last thing was in Psalm 31, 22, for I said in my haste, I am cut off before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. And I feel like even though Jonah left that ship in Joppa for Tarshish, trying to flee from the presence of God, I don't know if he ever felt closer to God's presence than in that whale or that fish or that shark, whatever he was in. Yeah. No, that's a good point. There's a, a time in all of our lives where sometimes we allow ourselves to be disobedient for so long that God has to talk to us somehow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes about in a storm. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, through this, it almost seems like he has a real spirit of repentance and he's come back and he's had this heart to heart with God. And and I think God this whole time has been using this fish as an underwater Uber. (laughs) All of a sudden, uh, with Jonah's um, prayer after three days and three nights, next thing you know, God speaks to the fish and it vomits him out onto dry land. Yeah. He says his prayer. God said... It is good. Yep. <laughs> he spits him out. Spewith him thus. Yeah. <laughs> Sifted out the curse. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what I, I love this again because um, Jonah's deliverance came after Jonah's repentance was complete. Jonah wasn't just sorry for what he did, but he was now trusting God again. Mm-hmm. And then Jonah's deliverance came three days and three nights uh, after it had passed. And that provided a foreshadowing of Jesus's resurrection. And I just, again, so many layers to this book. And that's a really neat uh, thing. Yeah. And we all, we could go even deeper in some of the theological implications in this because if Jesus pointed to himself being like Jonah three days and three nights, I mean, there's a lot to take in there. Yeah. You go back and read that prayer and, and look over this whole thing even after the podcast yeah. because God speaks in it. That's so cool. I didn't even think it was going to rain tonight, so recording this in a storm is it's almost pretty, pretty fitting, right? It, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And, okay, so... I say I love this because coming back to the next chapter at the beginning, it's like, let's try this again. And it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach the message that I tell you. And it's such an awesome revelation about God. First and foremost, that he doesn't hold grudges. Mm. He forgives us of our sin. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. And I think that could apply to Jonah. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. And I love that God can't forget. I mean, that's just not who he is, but he can look away from. Yeah. And when it says that he... Uh, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. He puts them behind his back. He's like, I, I think of them no more. Yeah. And then Micah seven nineteen says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And he said, Jonah, all that stuff that you confessed while you were in that, that sea monster, 
it's gone. Yeah. You left it on the ocean floor. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. And so um, next thing you know, Jonah's like, all right, it's time to do this thing. Let's, you know, let's man up. Yeah. And he starts heading to Nineveh. He girds thy loins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a quite a hike from wherever he was spit out. Yeah. And he's got a ways to go and he gets there. And uh, I think of, of the Gandalf meme, so it begins. <laughs> As he stands up off the beach in his slime, okay. he looks towards the... Yeah. Sorry, I'm such you a know. visual person. Well, and you mentioned standing up on the beach in his slime. Um, have you ever... I, I always ask you questions, and of course I know <laughs> the answer. I've heard of some of the physiological implications that being in stomach acid could have on a human skin. Make him look albino-ish. Yes. Very white. And possibly even burned off all his hair. Yeah. So here comes Powder the Prophet. <laughs> yeah. What a sight. I mean, if nothing else, they're sitting there at the gate saying, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Something's not right. Because <laughs> that's where in Jonah where they're like, smell him. <laughs> so he gets to Nineveh, and like it says, it's it's perhaps even a three-day journey um, through the city. And he starts proclaiming this message, and its message is one verse long. It's eight words in English. English or just even five words in Hebrew and he says yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown yeah and he's just walking around proclaiming that message yeah it, it, he's a lot it's interesting how he doesn't say anything about repentance or anything no. he's just keeping it as simple as he can I don't know if he's doing it on purpose for one way or another <laughs> yeah but just 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown and it's weird because we did just have this talk about how he had a heart to heart with God yes and yet you feel that subtle like he maybe the, yeah he's holding back and not I, giving the full like just oomph of all of God's you know, love and salvation. And one thing I would point out here is the word overturn in verses four is used uh, two different ways in scripture. The Hebrew word is um, hafak, I think, um, is the way you pronounce it. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> definition is to turn, overturn. Now, Genesis 19.21, is, that word is speaking of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. But 1 Samuel 10.6, that word speaks of being transformed or changed. Okay. So Jonah's prophecy of Nineveh being overturned actually came true, just not in the way that he wanted. Yeah. They were transformed. Oh, that's interesting. So I found that, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the message that he is proclaiming um, spreads. Yeah. And it next does. thing you know, it reaches the king. And um, in, a, in a surprise move, because of the way and the nature of this people, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And then this was the proclamation that he issued for all of the Ninevites. He said, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish what what a strange turn of of thinking in a pagan king yeah i mean that's just not normal no it's not but the fact that this message reached not only his ears but also his heart yeah and it it moved yeah and that's what the gospel can do it is i i 
I've seen men and and women who I mean, you you look at them and they have that stone cold look in your eye and and you go out and you're going to just share with them and you think, oh God, am I wasting my time? This is not going to go well. And you see that message that's living and powerful cut deep. And next thing you know, there's that life in their eyes. It's beyond amazing. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I think of when Jesus went to Herod, when he was sent to Herod, Mm -hmm. that was a king. Yes. That could have received just like this Ninevite king, yeah. but he didn't. He didn't. He had a hard heart. He said, heart. you know, give me a, show me a trick. Yeah. You know, he, he had a very hard heart. This pagan king probably was a pretty hardened heart guy too, yeah. but he made a choice here. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you think about it, he probably had to keep up a sort of wickedness just to show his people like how I mean, we talked about how, yeah, how wicked they did to, to, um, persuade enemies not to come and all. I mean, yeah, they had it in them. He had to be chief wicked man. Yeah, he did. <laughs> chief wicked man face. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but <laughs> he had to be the leader of all of that. And yet, uh, I mean, to the degree that he was like, not only are we not supposed to eat, that we're supposed to repent and we're supposed to mourn for our sin, but this is trickling down to our, our kids, our wives, our animals. Yeah. He's like, don't let them eat or drink either. Yeah. We all need repentance. And you know, that's the kind of heart God's looking for. Yeah. I think of Zacchaeus. He went and paid back what? Fourfold? Four times. Um, it, and it was Peter, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. Yeah. It's this over, Lord, I want you beyond what I'm seeing here, beyond what I'm being called to. Save to the extreme. Yes. And that's the kind of heart that God is after. Is, is it okay if I kind of point out why I believe God loved the Ninevites here, Josh? By all means, please. You know, oftentimes I think we look past the heart of God in John three sixteen for God so loved the world. And I've, I've heard a lot of underhanded comments through the years that God, he was a different character in the Old Testament, one of hate in unreasonable um, ways. And I always hear uh, about the conquest of Canaan, how God instructed all those people to be killed. And people like to throw those insinuations. Um, those who do that should be aware of both sides of the story. Um, it's no surprise that in today's cancel culture, people will throw out all the facts, um, throw it out the window because only half the story has been heard. And God's heart, a.k.a. the other side of the story, I think is seen in the story of Jonah mm. here, especially in this instance. Um, we should really look at the whole picture because God's love is available to all who choose righteousness over wickedness. And even in some Christian circles, we see this idea that God offers salvation only to the lucky select. It's never been about the lucky select. It's always been about a choice we make. And we see that with this king here. And just in case there's any listeners out there that need some scripture to back that up from in the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus 19.34, you must treat the foreigner living among you as native born and love him as yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.19, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And then God's willingness to wait for the investigation to be done in Sodom and Gomorrah before destroying them. And as we'll see here in Jonah, God even asked the question, um, aren't people more important than vines? And we'll see that at the end, but uh, keep all of this in mind when trying to understand some of the violent and harsh happenings in the Old Testament, because all of those cases, there was a very good and loving reason for doing what had to be done. I just want to point out that God's heart was not just for the lucky select Israelites. Yeah. He went after the Ninevites. Yeah. 
And that is God's heart. And that's why God loved the Ninevites. And you translate that all the way to our modern day. Whoever you want to look at, you want to say Muslims. God loves Muslims. God loves the whole world. John 3.16. It's always been his heart. To, To some of us, it is incomprehensible. We don't get it. We cannot comprehend it. But God loves everyone. And he made them. And when he sees them, he sees his creation, he sees the Imago Dei. He sees that he made them in his image. And it's really hard for some of us to overcome that. And yeah. that's where prejudice comes from. That's where, oh, well, I'm an American, so I should be a uh, Christian, but not this person. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. And we see that in Jonah, Yeah. where it's like, why, why would God not love them? Because God loves the unlovable. Yeah. He loves the unreachable. And and then he often not only reaches them, but then he uses them for such wonderful things. Yeah. It, it reminds me, I just saw on Facebook the other day a trailer for this new series called The Chosen. Mm. And there's a scene where uh, one of the apostles asked Jesus as he's choosing Matthew, the tax collector. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> he said... He said, I'm choosing him as I chose you. And he said, but this is different. He's a tax collector. And Jesus looks at him and he said, get used to different. Oh, yeah. And I just loved that scene because he looks up and he's like, get used to different. Yeah. Because my heart goes further than that. Amen. And I just loved that. Yeah. I just, I hate that we would narrow down our view of who God can love because of the way that we were raised without taking into effect all of scripture and what it's told us. And if we allow those prejudices to shape who we are, then we are going to be ineffectual as ambassadors of God's love. Amen. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I wanted to point out that in verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, there's not a lot of Christianese in this story, but right there, that term right there is, is what repentance means. It means going a different direction. Yes. Uh, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And I wanted to point this out that they're not saved by their works. They're saved through this action of faith. That's so hard for some to separate. It's yeah. not a work. Yeah. When, you, when you surrender and put your faith in God, I, I think some people think that's a work. It's not. No. It's a work of Him. Yes. And it's that, it's that dynamic that James talks about where he goes, I'm not saved by my works. I'm actually working because of my faith. Yes. Yeah. And that's a it, hard there one is to understand. A choice. There is a choice involved. And, yes. And sometimes people just want to argue about whether yeah. that's a work or not. Yeah. But a choice is not a work. But works are going to be a byproduct of faith. Yeah, overflow. So, yes, exactly, overflow. So um, so Jonah, his message worked, and he should be ecstatic. He should be thrilled about this, right? Yeah, he should be. <laughs> <laughs> but chapter 4 opens, and it says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. And this is the the the... A verse that I was alluding to earlier in the podcast, he said, isn't this what I said, Lord? And I almost imagine the anger that's in his voice as he's saying this out loud. Uh, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. 
He said, this is, this, I knew you were so loving that they would just turn away this wicked people. I wanted to see fireworks and destruction. I wanted to see another Sodom and Gomorrah just end my life. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the change? I have no idea. You know, I wonder, I wonder if, I heard Francis Chan say one time, sometimes I don't agree with something God's asking me to do, but I do it because I obey him. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if when he got out of that whale, that's what was going on. Huh. That he, he still had the hardness towards them, yeah. but he decided to be obedient. So you made me think of something else. I wonder if he had a quote-unquote mountaintop experience in the depths of the sea with that whale and all of a sudden you know it's the i'm connected to god i'm closer than i ever felt like before and then as soon as he hit the city limits of nineveh he was like i hate these people could be i mean who knows yeah maybe that prejudice all just came back to him as he's walking around seeing piles of skulls in front of people's uh door frames and that would make sense because there's people that i've forgiven in my past and Something and I really feel like I forgave them, yeah. but then something a scab gets ripped off, yeah, because it comes up again and those feelings well up, yes. And so, as he's walking into Nineveh, like you said, it just rushes him. And it's easy to judge him here, but I've done it, I've done it too, yeah. I mean, I just admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan Swift wrote a verse that expresses Jonah's frame of mind here. He said this, We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. I My mean, goodness. Yeah, right? What theology was he from? What doctrine is this? <laughs> tell me, Josh. <laughs> it's a doctor to tell him the truth. It's Calvinist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a joke, guys. Okay, please be a joke. No. But I love God's response to Jonah saying, kill me, kill me. God said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Yeah. I love the questions of God in the Bible. I do too. Because God, after so much of Job talking, remember when God just comes and he's just like, now, it down. now stand as a man and I will ask you questions. Yeah. Be ready. And uh, for this, this is, a, this is a question that cuts to the quick. Is it right for you to be angry about this? My people, my message, you're my prophet. All you're supposed to do is be my mouthpiece. You're not supposed to have an opinion on this, Jonah. And yet here you are. And um, he went to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen. I almost still feel like he's waiting for some sort of trip up in their um, in their repentance and that somehow they're going to revert real quick to what they were and mm -hmm. God's still going to destroy them. But he's sitting there and uh, it's hot, right? Yeah. yeah. I get the same feeling. I think he's he's probably hoping that something happens not good to him. Watch the fireworks, so yeah. to say. And he's sitting there just smoldering in the heat. <laughs> yeah. And, and even then, even in that condition that he's in, God, God, he sprouts up a tree for him. Yeah. Shade. A, a miracle of mercy. Yeah. Going, I'm going to ease your pain. And, and it eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And um, a commentator named Boyce said, this is the first time we find Jonah happy. Jonah was pleased at last. After the compassion that God had on all these other people, God was finally doing something for Jonah. Selfish? Of course it was. And petty, too. 
Yeah. I mean, it really was. He's sitting there, like, going, destroy the city, and and now I have some shade, so I'm really happy about that. He says, (laughs) boo-boo. Sound clip. But God also arranged a worm, and the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. That's the second time that wind has played a factor in this. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die, and he said, death is certainly better than living like this. Then God asks another question. He says, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. Wow. What a, what a heart. I know. I don't get it. I don't understand. And maybe he's just having a bad day, a bad week. And, you know, I do. I, I, I do, as we mentioned at the very beginning, remember the, the true enemies that Assyria was to Israel. Yeah. And so I know it's been ingrained in him. He probably saw some really bad things happen in his life because of them. But um, God's really trying to get across his love for people. Mm -hmm. And here's the ambiguous ending of the book. And I know in most profiles, we don't read the whole chapter, but I felt like it was so necessary in this case. It says, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Hmm. And that's how it ends. It it really leaves you with uh, looking at the man in the mirror, doesn't it? It does. Because I think we all, if we're honest with ourselves, looking back, um, or not even looking back, maybe looking currently, yeah, um, we have these these feelings, and we got to remember, we got to remember God's heart and what we are to be ambassadors and representatives of. Yeah, and and I found this, and I thought it was interesting that Jewish tradition says that after God said the words of Jonah four eleven, that Jonah then fell on his face and said uh, this from Daniel nine nine, govern your world according to the measure of mercy, as it is said to the Lord, our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And I don't know. I don't think that's true necessarily because of the way God ends the book. And I think if he wanted that part in there, then he would have put, put, it, put in it in there. <laughs> but we can only hope that Jonah or ourselves would have such a humble response to go, yeah, God, you're right. They yeah. deserve mercy, and you're the one to give it to them. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think he did that. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things where we don't know a hundred percent, but it's it sure left a flavor at the end that he he had a hardened heart. Yeah. Now, does what does that speak of in in regard to salvation and all that? I don't know about all that. Yeah. But I know that it's a sad, sad thing to see somebody be. Uh, at the peak of their what needs to be progressive sanctification and it's still in a hardened state yeah and somebody rewrote that end question in more of a modern way to ask it are we more concerned with our own lawn dying than with our neighbors perishing and going to hell Hmm. because jonah seemed to care more about that stupid plant than he did a whole city of 120,000 souls yeah it's a. It was quite a predicament to see. Yeah, and I again, I actually really appreciate the way that it ended. Even though I want a happy ending, I want Jonah to be like, "Yeah, we did it, God. Where else am I going? <laughs> yeah. What other you know terrible, wicked people can we go get to repent?" Yeah. But instead, it ends with him sitting in the last things that he said. The last words that he said in the Bible was, "Yes, 
I'm angry enough to die. Yeah. And that's that's one of the many unique things about this story, this profile, this book. Yeah, is it's it's not um, it's not like the others. I no. mean, everything is is turned around. The ending is it, it makes you it leaves you asking a lot of questions, which can be a good thing. Yeah, um, that does lead me kind of to my takeaway point from sure, the profile. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that would be to be careful how you judge. Um, even though it seems that Jonah ended his life with a continued hardened heart towards his enemies. God used his ministry to get recorded in the Bible as an almost satirical yet profoundly powerful text to make us look at the one in the mirror and um, to teach us of God's nature, which is the nature of love and forgiveness offered to all humanity. Um, Even if we write people off as unfixable, God will not. So we must ask ourselves, just as God asked Jonah, are you justified in your stance towards others? No matter what you think is right, what you think is wrong, are you okay with my forgiveness to those you despise? Mm. And we should remember that regardless of how good a Christian we think we are, for whatever reason, we have to remember Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let me ask you, Christian, how strictly do you judge others uh, as I ask myself? And then after being honest with ourselves, um, would you stand up before a holy God on the weights of that justice? That's something to ponder. Mm -hmm. Um, So takeaway point for me, a big one is to have compassion on those who seem wicked by your standard. Um, it very well may be wicked, um, but is there a line in the sand and a stance we must take on certain issues? Absolutely. Maybe even publicly. But remember the heart of Jesus when he approached the wicked. Jesus was much harsher toward the religious hardened heart than the sick sinner. That's right. So that's, um, that's the big takeaway that I saw. Yeah. One of many. Yeah. And I had a few. I wanted to say that first and foremost, in looking at the life of Jonah, we find that God is the God of second chances and not only second chances, but third and fourth and fifth. And, um, because we saw with Jonah, he rebelled and then he repented. And there was some redemption in that, even though at the end you're like, where did you leave off? But yet because of God's faithfulness, he gave Jonah that second chance. He, he didn't just go, okay, you said, no, I'm moving on. I've got plenty of other prophets I can call on. He came back and he still used Jonah and he gave him that that next chance. And hopefully in our lives, as we grow as Christians, that we're learning from our failures. And that's one of the greatest things that we can do is say, okay, God, I messed up. I don't want to do that again. And I want to progress. That's what progressive sanctification is all about is learning through those failures and then getting back up and trying again. And so I found that really um, a neat application point. And then another thing is I want to be like a Ninevite in terms of hearing my sin presented to me and repenting hearing things that I know I shouldn't be doing and going, okay, God, thank you for revealing that to me and turning away from it yeah, and being man enough to turn away from it. And I also wanted to point out, and this falls right in line with what you said, is that God is a God of salvation and redemption. And this was supposed to be a picture for Israel to turn from their wicked ways. They were supposed to look down the road when Assyria was coming for them to go, oh, wait, 
God sent a prophet. He said, turn. They did turn. And then their destruction never went through. And yet Israel, they just rode that highway all the way to the end until God came in and, and allowed them to be taken captive. And yet, you know, we need to apply those certain things to our hearts of going, hey, if he's trying to warn me about something and he's using someone to speak into your life, then allow that. And um, God's compassion is boundless. He loves everyone. You know, we could just sit here and list about who God loves and it would be forever. We just keep talking because he loves everyone. And, And like I said before, he saves and often uses the unlikeliest of people. And I just want you to remember, and I want you to to pray on this, is that if there's anyone that you think out there is too far gone, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop attempting to reach them because maybe it is through you and maybe it's not. But there is no one alive breathing in a day who is unreachable. Yeah, so true. No one. So this is such an interesting book. I'm really glad that we got to profile Jonah because, <laughs> and even in a rainstorm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's so, a, yeah. so ironic. <laughs> yeah, so fitting. Um, but man... Lots to learn from our friend Jonah. Absolutely. Well, hey, Snakebirds, we're truly blessed to share in the study of God's Word with you on another episode. And we always ask that you rate and review us wherever you listen and feel called to do so. But more importantly, we would love for you to share your thoughts with us. If you've been listening for even a little while, guys, then you're already a part of the Snakebird family, and we would love to hear about what God is putting on your heart. So while sharing the podcast is a great way to open the gospel up to others, a conversation via email or direct message would open up the fellowship between us um, and you, the Snakebird community. So we'd really encourage y'all to do that. Yes. Yeah. And um, if you want to reach out and connect with us, we would love to hear your voice added to the conversation, Uh, whether it's part of our community or whether it's sending us a message. Uh, If you're struggling or and you need prayer or if you're just saying, hey, I've got a profile, I would really love to hear. There's a Bible character who I like and I just like to hear you guys um, just go off and and really tell their story then that'd be awesome and so uh send us a message you can send us a message or an email at connect at basnakebird.com or you can also connect with us on facebook through either a post or a direct message that would be awesome that's right guys some of the most intriguing studies we've done have been requests by listeners absolutely yeah please send them in we get really passionate talking about something that somebody had wanted us to talk about yeah absolutely we speak into each other in (laughs) this community yeah exactly and so with that always remember whatever you do wherever you go no matter what life throws at you even if it's a whale (laughs) there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus and be a A snake bird. bird Salty sea sailors, I'd like to say, just because I like it's tongue twisters. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a taco shack named that once. It was fantastic. Nice. <laughs> so Back he answered and he said, Yeah. So here comes powder. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> here comes powder.